For this episode of 3AM, What's Keeping You Up at Night, we chat with Julie Reese, co-founder of Day One Early Learning Community, director of Wimfimer Lab School and lecturer in the areas of education and psychology at Vassar College. She has an exciting new enterprise to share with us. I have the honor of being Julie's friend and we are Vassar classmates. Along with her co-founders, a member of the Television Hall of Fame and Vassar grad, and a Dutchess County legislator in her second term who is also a professor at Vassar College, they have created Day One Early Learning Community, a social impact organization that focuses on our little ones, their parents, their teachers, and the community. Check out their website, dayoneearlylearning.org. Their mission is to revitalize Poughkeepsie and Dutchess County in the Mid-Hudson Valley region of New York by investing in their youngest citizens. They support workforce development, parent empowerment, and early childhood learning. Day one will create jobs, improve family life, and ensure our youngest learners are positioned to be ready to enter school on grade level and thrive. The founders of Day One Early Learning Community see a future that others only dream about, where all children have access to a preschool education created to feed curiosity, to center learning around play, to share the magic of how children learn with their parents to build a strong bridge between school and family that does not exist in all neighborhoods, and to intentionally lift the profession of teaching in the preschool space to an equal status with those who teach on the elementary school level. And the doors of their vision are about to open. Julie is joining us remotely from New York on this episode. There's a lot to talk about, so let's jump in. Julie, it is so great to have you here on 3 a.m. What's keeping you up at night? Thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. This is going to be an exciting conversation about taking kind of a larger issue and how you move into creating an entity uh, and then what that what that looks like today from its kind of inception, the, you know, the seeds that you all have been germinating and kind of the work behind it and then, you know, where the vision sits now and what you think that vision is going to look like you know, a couple of years down the road, I'm excited to get started. So we all know that you're a early learning for children guru and have done an awful lot of work, research as well as practice. And I know when day one was started, it really was about solving some larger issues. So could you talk to us about what those larger issues are? Sure. So we're in Poughkeepsie, New York which is a a high-poverty area in the city. And our school, the school I direct, is located at Vassar College. It's a campus that's near the city, but not in the city. And for many years, we have wanted to figure out how our lab school, our early childhood school, could better serve and uh, build a community with the children and families in the city of Poughkeepsie, where there's so much need. And this project uh, emerged from that long-term desire and goal to a moment when it became possible and practical to do it. So the connection was with community. Talk to me a little bit about 
in addition to that connection, what larger policy issues you all might be addressing through day one. Right. So early childhood is in an unusual place and has been for for quite a while. The science about how children develop and how they learn from birth to especially birth to age five is pretty well established now and has been growing in access and ability to be able to practice it for many years. The funny thing is, it doesn't happen very much. In other words, we don't apply what we know about children learning and developing to the places that we really need to be doing that, in our case, in the city of Poughkeepsie. And that's kind of one prong. And then there's another side of it, which is that early childhood teachers are still considered babysitters, daycare workers. Um, they're not seen as educational professionals in the same way that elementary school and on up would be. So that has resulted in a huge uh, training inequity and a even bigger wage inequity. Um, if I want to be a, a four-year-old teacher, I'm going to make probably less than half of what I would have as a starting teacher in as five-year-olds in kindergarten. And day one is really thinking about how to make those things match up. How do we provide outstanding early childhood education for what we know is the most important years of a young child's development and a family's development in many ways with professionalizing and bringing opportunities to those who teach those children? Right, because there are those studies where students from families who have benefited from education and from full employment and perhaps legacies of full employment and education. Their little ones go to kindergarten with about, you can help me with the numbers, I think it's like 10,000 words. And those from the more marginalized communities don't even have half of that. And so there is this whole infusion of just what learning looks like and how it helps that young student as they enter into kindergarten, there's already a disadvantage from the beginning. So it sounds like for day one, they're meeting that head on in terms of access, but they're also looking at it from a um, kind of workforce development lens as well, partially and probably most specifically from the wage piece, but also now from this training piece, which is really important. To your point, Julie, lots of preschool folks are either retired teachers or perhaps folks who are stay-at-homes who may need, you know, just want to have something to do during the day. And some of them are, you know, degreed, early learning childhood professionals. So what's the design, the idea, the why behind even thinking about this wage earning, salary earning compensation level to your model? There's a couple of different pieces. One is that we know that there are young people in college or in community college who very much have their passion and desire to teach in early childhood education. They start off that program and then they realize that they're not going to be able to make a living wage when they get out, when they get their degree and look for a job in early childhood. That's frankly just not going to be a living wage in most of our country. And so they pivot at some point 
and they go to uh, something that's close to it. You know, so elementary school, you know, often kindergarten, first, second grade, to get close to those young, early teaching years, which are such a joy and a pleasure to be a teacher for. But they give up part of their real talent often and their desire to be with young children because they simply can't afford to do it. So that's one big piece of the puzzle. The folks who do stick it out, uh, who do stay in and continue to work, uh, often have two jobs, three jobs. They're working, you know, to make enough money for their families to live. But in order to do that, they're sacrificing their time with their family, as well as coming in exhausted. You know, if you're with young children for eight hours a day, and then you go out and work another four hours, you know, at a local uh, store or something like that, you're coming into your next day of work with those children already tired and not able to give your full self as a teacher to them. So just to back up a moment, talk to me about why this arena of a child's learning, this early learning segment to a child's learning life struck you as interesting and lifelong for your energies? Wow, that's a tricky question. It feels like it's been with me since I was a kid myself. Mm-hmm. And from high school on, I had a wonderful public high school program where I could go out and and teach every day in a local neighborhood school, kind of in a fieldwork model. And uh, I got to work in some special needs programs. As long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a teacher. And I always wanted to be a teacher of very young children. I think it's an inspiration. Uncharted waters for that child every day is a is new and a wonder. Not necessarily wonderful, <laughs> but every day is a wonder. <laughs> um, and, you know, when you get to be a part of that, it's like, you, you know, you taste the, the sweet and you just never want to give it up. So I, I don't think I could peg a beginning point. What I do know is that I shifted from wanting to be a teacher to becoming a developmental psychologist because I wanted to understand why and how kids learn best. Not just that they're wonderful to spend your life with, but why? What's happening underneath there? What's what's going on that makes this such a truly kind of mind-blowing time to be with these children who are, are learning and growing so fast and for whom you're also setting down a foundation that's going to go with them for the rest of their lives? Which is why the foundation, just to piggyback on that word, which is why the foundation for day one is so strong as you all work on these, what I perceive is kind of a a three-pronged approach. It's access, certainly. It's training for professionals. And it's also the notion of having a, not just a living wage, but a professional wage in in this ecosystem of education in the early learning. And I think that speaks particularly to how you all have constructed kind of the physical part of day one which will include the website for our subscribers so they can see it, but really talks about the why and the how, kind of the under the hood you talked about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about the design of the school? And and actually, I'd love for you to start it out so that we can continue this thread of access where you folks have decided to put this first day one structure in place. 
Yes, I'd be happy to. So we had a lot of fun uh, the first summer, which was two years ago now, looking for a place to build our model school that was definitely in the city of Poughkeepsie. But we became aware very quickly that access by transportation, including walking, was extremely important to success of the school. And the reason that I say that is because children have to be there to benefit, right? They need to actually come to school and to have that um, accessible for their families, um, not another stressor per se. So we have picked this building. We're very fortunate to be settling in on a on a spot that is literally about the epicenter of the downtown area. It is a block away from our bus depot, um, our bus transit station. So all the buses that come and go from Poughkeepsie and our surrounding Dutchess County come in and cross through there at some point. It is walking distance from our train station, and it is planted in a way that there's sidewalk access and uh, what I think of actually as stroller access um, (laughs) for parents to walk to school and get their kids there safely. So it's right in the middle. And every time I drive by it, I just think, yep, we're in the right spot. We were so fortunate to end up exactly where we needed to be. And talk to me about the structure itself. The uh, renderings are beautiful, first of all, but talk to me about some of the elements of the structure so people can begin to see it in their minds. Sure. So we're taking a building, which is three stories. It's got a downstairs and a main floor and an upper floor. And it also has a parking lot next to it, which is important because that will become our playground and our garden. We'll be doing a lot of gardening and nature-based teaching and learning for the children in the middle of the city, which is one very exciting aspect to us. The program will have 10 classrooms, babies and toddlers, and then are on the first floor. And then there's a set of preschool classrooms on the second floor. But built into this design are also all of the support services that children may need to optimize their own learning and growth and development. So what I mean by that is that we will have a speech and language therapist on staff, we'll have an occupational therapist, a physical therapist, we'll have nurses that are coming through the training program at a local college uh, and doing their graduate placement work, social workers, all kinds of things that are a one-stop shop model, right? So that a child arrives at school in the morning with a member of their family or neighborhood, and they get everything they need for their optimal development during that day. And the school is designed to have a flow in doing that from being with their peers and in their classrooms to also having spaces that are more private or individual uh, so that a child who is working on something closely can be focused and hear and listen to and attend to their support person that's working with them to develop their developmental skills. I love that. So it is a learning center for not just the little ones, but also for folks moving into that ecosystem from a variety of avenues. And that sounds like that whole teaching aspect of it and learning aspect of it for different folks who are, again, feeding into that makes it even more magical for the purposes of helping the students be all they can be, as well as to learn who they are 
as you guys continue to kind of investigate under the hood and do things in ways that make the learning even better for them. Yeah, exactly. I, I have to confess, I have goosebumps listening to you say that um, because it's a re- it's a reflection, you know, back to me about exactly the hope of what we're trying to do. One of the things about lab schools, which is what this is modeled after at, at Vassar and other lab schools, is that the whole community is considered learners. Every single person in the building is a teacher and is a learner. And that includes the children, that includes, you know, administrators, that includes the parents, certainly support staff. And often local colleges and graduate school programs who are getting their students ready to go out into the world in in one fashion or another and provide uh, support and teaching and, and services to families and children. So day one's you know, bigger ethos, you know, the bigger feel is that if you're in that building, you know, I hope it is magical because I think everybody is on par uh, with one another in that desire to learn and to also contribute to the sense of an educational environment. And I also know that part of your mission is to move beyond just the school itself, but to go out and to partner with other schools to share the learning provided within the day one walls to other early learning child education establishments. Could you talk about that for us? Sure. So part of the apprenticeship model that we're doing is that a teacher could be a current teacher, could be a recent grad coming in, uh, could be someone who's had a family you know, daycare in their home for many years. They come to us in the apprentice program and they basically kind of move in with us. They spend five hours a morning in the classrooms and then they spend two and a half hours in a reflective uh, model teaching practice with me in the afternoons learning, you know, the guts, the underneath part of development. But the goal for us is not to actually keep those teaching apprentices with us. The goal is to immerse them in what we hope they'll see as best practice and grow as their own sense of learners so that they then take that out into our community. Our goal is to train 200 teaching apprentices in the next five years, very few of which will stay in the lab school with us, most of which we hope will go out into the city of Poughkeepsie first and then into the broader communities around us. And that is the essence of this. I mean, it's really not about... In some ways, it's really not about what's happening in the school in the moment. It's about what we're infusing into early childhood educators so that they can take that knowledge and passion and talent out to places where we really, really need them with kids. So this sounds a little bit as though you folks have already laid groundwork to scale up in the Mid-Hudson region but then in the state and I'm sure nationally with this kind of model, is that the thinking? It is actually. We hope that as we learn as part of the model process, right, as we go through these first few years and figure out what works better and what we need to tweak ourselves a little bit, that that will help us continue to develop a really good platform to keep spreading wider, to keep that, you know, I think of it as a ripple in a pond where you know, we're dropping one stone in the water and that's at Poughkeepsie, but we, we sure want that ripple to go as far and wide as possible. One of the advantages of this model is that it is relatively short. 
It takes 10 weeks of commitment on the part of the apprentice teacher who's coming in. And it's a very intensive learning process. But then that person, that new apprentice teacher, is able to go out and look for a job, you know, kind of spread their wings, maybe go back to where they were and and improve the spot that they were already teaching in or working in with young children. So it's not a year-long model, right? It's not taking a year out and saying, I'm going to go in and intern and take classes of every few days or work in a classroom every couple days. It's an all-in, all-the-time But the benefit of that, besides the community we hope to build among the apprentice teachers, the benefit of that is that then they're ready. They're ready to go out and try it. They're ready to go out and kind of lay down their own roots in an early childhood setting. And we think that that combination of a reasonably short training time of 10 weeks plus a model that we think is able to be lifted up and put down in other locations in the country are two things that will serve us well in spreading the ideas and the philosophy behind day one. I like that. Julie, talk to me about how then that leverages, how the training then can help to leverage this other policy initiative about providing a professional wage for men and women who are in the early childhood learning ecosystem. Yes. Well, during the apprenticeship time for those 10 weeks, we provide a a wage supplement, basically a stipend, to the teachers who are working with us so that they have uh, some income during their training time, and that's not something that's creating another stressor for them. And we give them materials uh, that they're going to be able to carry forward in that, as well as sharing things across the cohort with one another as they move back into their own classrooms or to a new classroom. But beyond that, we also have a model set up that we hope to continue to support teachers for several years afterwards in a, we're calling a wage supplement model, meaning that as long as you continue as a teacher to be in um, your classroom and trying to implement and and provide best practice for these children and families, we then, as day one, will provide you a monthly supplement um, to help balance your wage closer to a living wage. And in particular, our target is closer to what an elementary school teacher would start at in your area. And that wage supplement comes with ongoing mentoring and supervision and teamwork among that cohort that originally formed to go through the apprenticeship program for those 10 weeks. So you folks are really building this early child learning, not just community, but almost core of folks that can go out into the immediate neighborhood and then the larger community to show best practice and extend their learning into either a new school that they might find employment at or in some other way, some other association with families who have children in that age group, which is really wonderful. So, Julie, as you open the doors in 2022, after what will be several years of work, to first of all, have the vision, think it through, and now populate that vision so as to move forward and really change this piece of a child's learning life. 
on a national scale, what do you attribute your success to in getting to that point? Hmm. I mean, I've been fortunate to have, you know, an incredible opportunities for education myself. Um, is my undergraduate work at Vassar and doing my doctoral work up at Brandeis. Um, in both of those situations, I had phenomenal mentors um, who I think I really learned about learning through relationships through them. And that kind of set the foundation. Um, and then I was able to, you know, be at our lab school at Vassar for so many years. But at the same time, a little bit of serendipity happened. And my two co-founders, uh, we all kind of found each other <laughs> as co-founders about the same time. And so Jerry Laborn is one of our co-founders who's also a Vassar grad and has worked her whole life with uh, children, primarily through the media. And Rebecca Edwards is another professor at Vassar with us who is a Dutchess County legislator and has had this as one of her ambitions and guiding principles for what her constituents really need, access to affordable, high-quality early childhood education. And, you know, sometimes things just happen that you're extremely lucky to be in the right place at the right time. And some of that is exactly what happened for us. We found each other and we started a conversation that we didn't know we shared these values. And that trio, which is now growing outward slowly as we're bringing in more people into the project, is just such a source of energy and joy and thoughtfulness and, you know, kind of taking each other on when we need to, uh, <laughs> to think through and think through an idea to be in a little bit better place. And like I was saying about my earlier education, it's about relationships um, and knowing that relationships are, are how we all learn best in the world. And I think it's one of the things that we've lost in our school system in general. And that has been uh, somewhat as part of early childhood, too. You know, there's been a push-down process of thinking about putting kindergarten and four-year-olds and, and all that kind of thing. But the bottom line is we know that we as human beings learn best through our social relationships. We know that we learn best when there's someone else paying attention to us, when there's someone else who really wants us to succeed and thrive and become into our own our own beings. Um that has certainly been true of our, our founding team, and it's exactly what we hope is going to happen to all the folks who will be part of day one. Well, and it sounds as though the modeling of that from its very inception certainly breathes through the vision all the way down to the details of the renderings of this gorgeous school and the curriculum, which I know you have created, pouring in your years of research and practical application of that research. And it sounds like it's all about uh, collaboration and keeping the children at the forefront of the why behind all of it. If somebody was interested in using this conversation to think about starting something, filling some need within their community, and looking for solution-based ideas, what kind of advice might you give them, Jules? Um, take a deep breath. <laughs> uh, you know, look for the, the folks in your life who have influenced you and who have made you really have that vision to start with. And also to be a little bit practical. 
think about, you know, what is realistic? And maybe that endpoint isn't exactly where you're going to start. In fact, hopefully not, um, because part of the process of, of figuring out what really works is the process itself. And I would say, you know, there's a phrase, trust the process. And there's a great deal to be said for that, especially if trusting the process also means that you're trusting it within other relationships that are supporting your passion and and uh, helping you to think and to thrive as a person in our community. Well, and as you look at the timeline from initial conversations till when the door will open, you honor relationships and you honor the growing of those relationships versus that person can do this, that person can do this, let's just get going. And while there will be pieces of this, as it's true with any kind of startup organization where the plane will be in the air and, you know, a few things will need to be added to the wings, obviously, but through your deliberation and your thoughtfulness, you open those doors in 2022 with a well thought out plan with partners and people who can walk alongside the three of you to supply what's needed for this vision to be actualized, which honestly for many in the nonprofit world is not necessarily the first thing folks will do. It is really just to go and service that need. And so to take time and, and think about viability and sustainability and create this model so that you can tug and pull at it, which I'm sure this, knowing the three of you, you know, those conversations would have been delicious to have been in on um, as a fly on the wall, just to watch that creative process go. My point is that relationships and time and the ability to collaborate has brought day one to a place where it really can go full tilt. I mean, it already is, Jules. I'm not saying it's not. But in terms of when that door is opened, it really can go full tilt and lean into its mission, which is a, a really great example for um, those out in the ecosystem who are looking to do something and feel as though they need to do it right away. And you all are showing the value of time, relationships, collaboration, and actually thinking, which seems to be an, kind of the thing that has underscored all of this. Well, the other thing I wanted to talk about with you, and we can circle back to day one in a moment, but I know you and you know me, and we've known each other for quite a while. And I know that this is one of those important opportunities for somebody who has all this expertise and experience and this love of what she does and proven success to now transition into a new, that next we're calling it, that new next um, that moves you from the college into running a nonprofit. And I'm just kind of wondering how that feels. Um, it feels <laughs> wonderful and terrifying <laughs> all at the same time. Uh, you know, my husband and I moved back to Poughkeepsie so that I could become the director of Vassar's Lab School because that would have been my dream when I was in college, that someday I would be the director of that school. And, you know, that felt like a dream come true and you get one of those in life. Then I was fortunate to have the remodeling happen for our school by a, a very generous benefactor. And I got to design the whole school, got to rip it out and design it all over again. And 
that felt like, you know, boy, you get two dreams that come true in life. That's really, you know, that's really icing on the cake. And here I sit, uh, you know, at the beginning of a third one. And it is with mixed emotions. I have a lot of emotion about leaving uh, the school, which is, you know, my own kids call my other child. Um, <laughs> and they're not they're not so wrong about that. Um, but it also is a sense of kind of like all of a sudden knowing this is what you've been doing and why you've been doing it. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of all of a sudden seeing another horizon like, oh, wait a minute. We actually have another use for this. We actually have another way to empower the kinds of things we do in a place that we hadn't really thought about to start with. We may have passionately wanted to, but not in the practicalities of this is how we're going to do it. And I'm grateful every day. I'm, mm. I'm grateful every day, even though there are certainly challenges of, of leaving and saying goodbye and transitions. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm grateful every day that I am going to have sort of this third dream come true in my life and to feel... Uh, you know, it, it helps you feel like your your life really does have a purpose and a meaning and, and a value beyond yourself. Oh, you've had great impact on so many lives. And, and while we keep talking, or maybe it's just me, keeps talking about this door opening on 2022, what I do know is that day one is very present in terms of this COVID response and that they are, in fact, very much first responders before the door is open in helping our little ones and our parents feel some kind of normalcy by uh, having books read or having links to, I remember you all linked to Sesame Street for Mm -hmm. the wonderful COVID program. So I urge people, Julie, help me so we can get it right so that folks can go on to Facebook and start to see all the different parenting tips and books and all kinds of things in this time of COVID and beyond. Where can they go and like the page and then start to follow it? So if you just put in day one, early learning, or D-O-E-L-C, Day One Early Learning Community, uh, that should take you to our Facebook page. And all the things that you were just describing are things that we post every day, uh, try to change the content around and, and give some interesting things to do with kids. And, you know, the background piece of that is to support parents. I've been, you know, working with parents for a long, long time, and I have never seen the kind of stress and really just kind of overwhelmed sense that I have in the last few months of parents trying to raise their children, do their work, and sometimes homeschool them from elementary or school. So, you know, one of the best things we do to raise our kids is take care of ourselves. And it's a really hard thing to do. Mm. Um, But it is something that I think is part of day one's mission is to think about the kinds of resources we want parents to have is so parents feel competent and confident and just have those moments of play with their children that are important for their children's learning and important for their own well-being. And the website is an absolute treasure chest of that very kind of material that you have just described. So the Facebook is a wonderful place. And so is this beautifully designed and thoughtfully created website. Jules, what's that address for folks so they could get on to day one and and hopefully become part of the community? We would love you to become part of the community. And it's day one early learning, all is one word, dot org. Terrific. And hopefully you'll 
come on and, and check us out and see that homepage and, and maybe it'll take your breath away. Well, I'm sure it will. You know, it's interesting that our kids are so much older, but, you know, anytime you can begin to go back and, and see all the wonderful things that are available for young ones, it really kind of makes your heart lighter. And so has this conversation, Julie. I appreciate your time so much. I am so proud of you just as a, as a personal friend, but I just know this is going to be such a shining light for people and an opportunity for people to actually become aspirational in their thinking towards early learning for children. Um, as we close, is there any kind of last final word you'd like to give to somebody, again, who's thinking about starting a nonprofit? to fill some kind of need. Yeah, I'd say, you know, just remember the partnerships. Find the people around you who already have relationships with you or who are, are like-minded and thinking about those same goals and, and talk to them. Just start a conversation because you'll find so many people who are both in your court with you and for whom you can be in their court as well. That's lovely. Julie, thank you so much for being part of 3AM, What's Keeping You Up at Night. Relationships, absolutely. Time, absolutely. Partnerships, I understand that as well. We all wish you the very best for day one early learning. And I can't wait until 2022, but everyone, please go to the Facebook page, go to the website, find out what they are doing, and please join in on the community. It's a marvelous, marvelous thing about lifting up our little ones so they have the best chance in life possible to uncover their potential to make the world better. Julie, thank you so much. I am so honored to have you on the podcast and we'll have to have you guys back so you can give us all the updates after the doors open. Oh, we would love to do that. It has been my pleasure and thank you for talking with me this afternoon. 3 strong, experienced, passionate, purposeful, impatient and very successful women have decided to take on the preschool education ecosystem to revitalize their community, to strengthen the profession and compensation level of the preschool teacher, to empower the parents who are marginalized by the system as children themselves, to provide our little ones with an experience to unleash all the gifts and potential in each of them this world sorely needs right now. The doors to day one open soon. The story of day one shows us what passion, deliberation, resourcefulness, and determination can yield. What is the issue? How is it manifested? What's being done? Can we improve it? What are the underlying barriers to improvement? How do we get started? If you are seeking answers to these questions, let us know. We want to help you bring your solution to reality. The McFarland Group is here for you at themcfarlandgroup.com to listen to your mission, and help design a plan to get you where you want to go to make our world, even a small corner of it, better. Our thanks, as always, to Relationary Marketing for your continued support in making this podcast of the highest quality. Check out their new podcast, Brand Casting, with host and marketing guru, Clark Buckner. Stay with us and invite your friends to catch what's happening on 3 a.m., what's keeping you up at night. Until next time.